Welcome to Redefining the Good Life, the podcast that calls BS on the rat race of modern life and helps you finally have the courage to go after your dreams. I'm your host, Aishan Karaduman, aka The Omnivorist. I'm a life coach and functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Using a blend of mindset tools and ancestral nutrition, as well as understanding just what it means to be human today, I'm here to help you change the trajectory of your life. Another future is possible, my friend. Welcome on board. Hey friends, welcome back. I hope you are doing amazing. I have been a little exhausted because I had to move out of my place. And I think I told you this last time, uh, where I live is it's technically a vacation rental. So I have to leave for the summer. And as always, I tend to underestimate these things a little bit and just how much work moving is. Whew. Um, plus, I've had really bad allergies and asthma this whole month, and that really didn't help matters either. Um, and actually, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to walk you through my thought process around that situation. Um, because as someone who takes her health really seriously, this has been kind of hard for me. Um, I did some work with a naturopath back in the fall around my allergies, and I saw some great improvements. It was great, really. I felt so much better, and the winter and spring were relatively mild on that front. So I was feeling really good about that. I was like, yay, I'm making progress. I'm continuing my healing journey, and it's all going as it should. But then I got totally slammed with allergies and hay fever and asthma again for the last month or so um, to the point where it can impact the, you know, my quality of life, like waking me up in the, in the night, limiting my movements, um, being unable to leave the house without my Ventolin, that kind of stuff. So I've noticed I have this underlying anxiety about it. So I decided to investigate what's going on under the hood. <laughs> which means, you know, I took to pen and paper and wrote down my thoughts about it. First, of course, there is um, kind of a primal fear around just the act of breathing um, and how when that's obstructed, it feels really vulnerable, really uncomfortable physically, of course, but also emotionally. And I also noticed that I have some judgment around what's going on in addition to the worrying. And it comes down to something like, uh, you know, with all that I've been doing for my health and happiness, this shouldn't be happening to me. Ooh, <laughs> so good to notice that, right? I'd actually be willing to bet that this one thought is probably what gets people into trouble like 50% of the time. <laughs> of course, I totally made up that ratio, but I'm willing to bet it's really high up there. Because as humans, we so often resist reality. We resist acknowledging what's really going on. And as a result, we miss out on the opportunity for growth. So 
instead of sitting around in self-pity and woe is me, you know, because frankly, being in that state doesn't make my life any easier, I decided to ask myself, what's another way for me to see this? How is it supposed to be happening this way? And I realized a few things. Um, You know, if I just think of this as my body speaking to me, taking it just as information, then I could decide what I want to do with that information. The truth is, I am getting older, like everybody else on the planet, and it's very likely that my body and my needs are changing. Perhaps what worked great five years ago is no longer totally, you know, cutting it. And this in no way takes away from all the work that I've been doing all these years. And get this, unless my body talks to me in such a noticeable way, I won't actually take the time and energy to make any changes, right? Because, you know, why fix it if it ain't broken? So I decided that, like, I want my intentional thought around this to be, I bet I can figure this out. I bet I can do something about this. I can just start making a few tweaks and see how it goes. Because at the end of the day, I do have tools and I do have ideas um, around where I could go with this. But here's the other piece to that. Um, When I wake up yet again in the middle of the night with shortness of breath or hay fever, chances are my brain will want to go back to its automatic thoughts. That's okay because like that's totally normal. But I get to remind it what we've already decided we're thinking instead. So checking my thoughts and course correcting will help me actually listen to my body and do something about it. You know, I wanted to share that with you because I think that the idea of mindset work can sometimes feel a little vague. And I wanted to give you a really concrete example of what it looks like in everyday life. And also just, you know, point out to you how mindset underpins every area of our lives. All right, on to our topic at hand today. Now, I'm really excited and I'm also (laughs) a little nervous excited because today it's a bit more personal than usual. I want to talk about love and relationships And the reason I want to talk about that is, you know, because of the intense period of growth that I have personally experienced in this area of my life in recent times, and I thought it might be useful for you as well. Now, as you may know, I went through some big changes in my personal life in the the last year or so, making the transition in my family life and separating with the father of my kids. Um, And in, in addition to that, creating a deeply loving relationship was also a big life goal of mine. Now, I took all that really seriously. I was like, this is my fucking life. I want to do this well. I want to invest in this. So I hired my own life coach. Um, Now, since starting my business, I'd always had coaches. I'm never without a coach, if you will, but it was mainly for my professional life. This time, it was specifically um, for my personal life. And this is a good place to, you know, have a big shout out to my amazing coach, Kasia Kozinski, who was really an indispensable support to me during this process and beyond. Um, You should go follow her on Instagram or LinkedIn if you speak French. 
But thanks to my work with her, I took the whole dating process as a huge learning opportunity. Turns out Tinder can be a huge personal development tool. Who knew? (laughs) So I feel strongly about the subject of love and relationships because there are so many misconceptions out there. I personally used to believe lots of them. And I really wish someone would have taken me aside when I was much younger and told me everything I'm going to share with you today. That being said, of course, there are no regrets and everything I have gone through in my life brought me to this point. So I'm very grateful for that. But you know, it could save lots of us lots of heartache to know about these things. Especially as a girl growing up, I mean, for me, like reading old Seventeen magazines and listening to all the pop songs, what I thought I wanted and needed were, wow, um, how can I say, so off. And if I'm being less generous, I would even say it was harmful. At least it definitely can be. Because there's this idea out there that you need another person to make you feel whole to make you feel complete. And you're bound to be unhappy and your life is a failure if you don't have that. We've got to change the songs, people. It's getting urgent. So this brings me to what I believe to be the number one misconception when it comes to love and relationships that I personally had most of my life. That it is a matter of meeting the right person. I mean, how many of us still think like this? How many people jump from relationship to relationship, always hoping that the next person they meet will somehow save them, that it will be different this time? This is why so many people are serial monogamists. And yet when you think about it, they often recreate the same patterns, the same mistakes with, pa- like with partner after partner. And here is why that happens, because... It is not about meeting the right person, my friends. It is rather about becoming the right person. We are conditioned by our culture to think, I am not complete without another. My life is shit without someone in my life. But it is actually the exact opposite. The truth of the matter is, it is only when you have learned to fill your own cup and feel amazing in your own life, that love can actually happen, that it can actually blossom. When love comes as the icing on the cake that makes everything better, even though you were already complete and perfect before, as opposed to, oh my God, I wish someone would just come and save me from my lonely, miserable life. Because that approach, like, puts you in such needy energy, right? And hello, nothing good comes out of that, does it? So, what then does it mean to become the right person? What do you have to do in order to create the kind of love that you're yearning for? If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know about some of the themes that I like talking about. Um, For example, the idea that we have evolved on this earth for millions of years in a natural environment that is wildly at odds with our current environment. From the food we eat, to the way we move our bodies, or lack thereof, um, and to the nature of our communities and relationships, we're so far from hitting the mark today. 
So this means that the vast majority of us came into this world and grew up without our basic human needs being met on a regular basis. And this is even true even if we come from loving homes. It's not the fault of individual parents, but an entire system that is built in a way that does not have our well-being in mind. So what does that mean for us? That means none of us have come into adulthood unscathed. Well, there are those rare people who happen to have the emotional poise and maturity to live life and to tackle relationships peacefully. But let's face it, those people are kind of rare. I myself have had to work on this stuff for years. It did not come easily to me, or at least it didn't come naturally. I also have a suspicion that the reason why we feel such a deep need and deep calling for that romantic partnership in our lives today is because we as humans are incredibly social animals, and yet we have lost so much of that community aspect in our modern lives. And I suspect that many of us are trying to recreate that sense of connection and belonging, and an intimate relationship is, of course, something that's very conducive to that. Anyway, I digress. So going back to what I was saying, the work that we do on ourselves, that work of emotional intelligence, of personal growth, all the things that I talk about here on this podcast, really, that work is the work of love. Because that work is indispensable for creating a healthy, happy relationship in your life. There is no other way around it. I've recently talked about this in my newsletter. By the way, if you don't already receive those, what are you waiting for? You can sign up at theomnivorous.com slash newsletter. Of course, that link is also in the show notes. So I was talking about this notion of happy, healthy love being like a three-legged table. So one leg is that incredible, magical connection between two people. It's like there's this third thing when you're together that just feels so tangible, you can almost touch it. That's the part we can all agree on. But be careful here, because that's the part that also leads so many people down the wrong path. Because, my friend, are you ready for this truth bomb? Connection alone is not enough. I'm going to say that again. Connection alone is not enough. This brings me to the other two legs. These represent two individuals who have each started their inner work. I'm not saying done. <laughs> it's never finished, right? Um, so who have each started, at least, a, a good part of their inner work, and who now have the maturity to be in relationship with another. And so that this relationship can serve as a container for continued growth. Now, without any one of the legs, the table falls. But how many times have we tried to make something wobbly work because we were like, oh, but the connection is so amazing. The attraction is so strong. Hello, I've been there. But I love him, we say after like the eighth breakup. But here is the big question. Is your love for you bigger than your love for the other person? If the answer is no, then you're really setting yourself up for failure. Because the only way to make that situation work 
is to keep betraying yourself and your own needs. And if you put this lens on your potential partner, the most important thing there is, is are they able to say, I am a good person and I deserve this? That is the fundamental thing. It's so simple and yet so profound because so many people actually do not believe this deep down. Deep down, they don't feel worthy of happiness and therefore they end up wasting the chances that they're given. This is why it's so indispensable to first work on improving your relationship to yourself because without that, you have nothing to build on. And it's really important to me that the person has already cultivated this self-love because you also don't want to be falling in love with potential. There are some things that are just too fundamental. You can't be falling in love with someone's potential. You can't be falling in love with your own projections on them. You know, you have to, it has to be built together and it has to be like right here, right now, not just some like vague idea of some future amazingness. Again, connection alone is not enough. That's only one of the table legs. If you or your partner haven't yet put in the work and instead you're constantly triggering each other, it cannot work. It cannot last, at least not without making you miserable. And here is another misconception. The idea that love is inherently painful, that it's supposed to be really hard to be lots of work, that commitment means figuring it out at all cost. This is not true. Now, it isn't entirely untrue either. Love is supposed to take work, but not in the way that you think. It is the work of tending to your own wounds first and foremost, learning to have your own back first and foremost, all the things we always talk about, so that when you're in a relationship with someone, you are no longer operating from that super reactive place. Otherwise, what often ends up happening is you just have two triggered nervous systems interacting with each other, and it ain't pretty because we're no longer responding, but reacting in that moment. Once again, we all have this baggage to one extent or another, courtesy of our modern childhoods. It is, well, I won't say the human condition, but the modern human condition, if you will. So nothing has gone wrong there. Again, having been hurt in the past is not your fault, but doing the work of healing is on you. Now, a big disclaimer here. I am by no means saying that you're supposed to achieve some state of perfection, that you have to become like Buddha himself, not being triggered and activated by anything anyone says or does. That is not what I'm saying. You can be sure of that. <laughs> but here's how you know. When you have put in the work of healing your own patterns, at least, you know, started that process, it makes you less defensive, less reactive and more humble. You know you're human, you love and forgive yourself for it, and when you can't do those things for yourself, you become so much less needy, and this makes you much easier to live with. Also, a word of caution here. When we do the work of personal introspection and we start understanding our own patterns, you know, as a result of therapy or coaching or even consuming personal development tools, Sometimes we also tend to use this knowledge against ourselves or against the other person. 
For example, you may have heard about attachment styles. These are tendencies we developed in infancy and childhood that follow us to our adulthood and largely determine how we relate to other people and to mates. Now, this goes back to what I always say. Many of us did not have those essential childhood experiences, such as, you know, having been carried around by our moms for the first six months or two years of our lives. Like, hello, nobody had that, at least not in the 70s <laughs> or in the 80s even. Um, so it is totally common to have your attachment style be a little out of whack. Now, I don't have much time to get into that stuff here, but a great person who talks about this stuff is Nicole LaPera. She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram or YouTube. Go follow her. And her book is really good too. So what I was saying about that is get to know yourself and your own patterns, but do not let that self-knowledge derail you. Do not let it limit you. For example, you might be aware of having an anxious attachment style, but know that this is not a sentence. This is not something set in stone. This stuff is totally malleable. You can be aware of it. You can put in the work of having your own back and come to a place where you're no longer as reactive as you used to be. So take all the knowledge, but do not use it as an excuse to keep yourself limited. Never think about it like a personality trait that is unchangeable. I'm of the school of thought that our brains are endlessly plastic and we can make huge changes if we have the right intention. And to switch gears a bit, here's another misconception that I'd like to correct. A relationship that ends does not automatically mean that it's a failed relationship. Just think about how much you have learned thanks to all your exes. Even if it was about finding out what you don't want, right? I mean, how valuable is that? As long as you learn from every experience and you write a story about that situation that helps you to move forward with confidence, it's all part of it. It's all welcome. So this also means that relationships can be complete. Two people can come together in love and decide to part ways in love. The longevity of the relationship is no indicator of its success, quote-unquote. That being said, I also think there are such huge misconceptions around long-term relationships. And here, I want to talk specifically about the difference between drama and intensity. Now, just a little background here. As I alluded to earlier, back when I was dating, I learned so much about myself. And one of those things was the fact that I have a gifted brain and I'm a highly sensitive person. Now, I'd heard about sensitivity. I just thought this meant people who get really easily upset and offended and that it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> now I understand it much better. So being a highly sensitive person means you have intensities. Um, by the way, I didn't get, you know, any official evaluation. There is very little consensus on this stuff across the so-called experts, not to mention the literature in English versus French. But that is besides the point. I just went down the rabbit hole and read a bunch of books, listened to a bunch of podcasts, heard a bunch of people, and I just took what resonated with me as a way to understand myself better, and I left the rest behind. And by the way, if any of this resonates for you too, um, I'd be happy to share some resources. Just drop me an email. So 
It turns out highly sensitive people have intensities. Now, this can be emotional intensity, which is the case for many, I believe, but also it can be intellectual, sensory, imaginative, psychomotor, and often a combination of these. Emotional intensity for me shows up as having really strong, really intense emotions, all kinds of emotions, like the dial is turned up way higher than probably what it's like for the majority of people. And I have a tendency to get really moved by the world (laughs) and easily moved to tears also, but not necessarily with sadness. You know what I mean? Like beauty, you know, it could be visual beauty, but lots of things or human kindness and whatever. Um, And what I find for me is that this uh, quality, let's say, or this property (laughs) is something that really adds a lot of richness to my life. What I also learned about myself when it comes to love is that I have a high need for intensity in my partnership, meaning I need the person in front of me to be able to meet me there. I realized this was the biggest element I was looking for all my life, but without being able to put my finger on it, it had always eluded me. I just didn't know exactly what it is that I needed. Um, So I know this is a little little long-winded, but bear with me. Here is what I also realized. I realized that I very often used to confuse intensity with drama. So there's one more distinction I want to make here. While being highly sensitive and having intensity are innate characteristics, meaning you can't ever grow out of them, they are who you are. However, emotional intelligence is not something you are born with. It's not even something many of us are modeled um, when we're growing up. And it is a skill that needs to be developed. So while intensity is a must for me in relationship, it is useless in the absence of emotional intelligence and maturity. And I feel like so many of us confuse the dopamine roller coaster that comes early in a relationship or that comes as a result of the drama created by the immaturity of one or more partners. We so often confuse that with actual intensity. To me, there's a big difference between the two. And intensity, when coupled with emotional maturity, then that brings true intimacy. And this really is gold. It turns out true deep love actually feels so much calmer and so much more grounding. And this actually brings me to yet another misconception. And that's the idea that a little uncertainty, a little danger is what's needed to spice up a relationship. No, just no. It's actually the opposite. The indispensable foundation for a happy, healthy relationship is emotional safety. Emotional safety comes first, and all the good stuff comes as a consequence of it. And yes, this is including amazing sex. I mean, you can obviously have great sex with partners that don't make you feel safe, but let's face it, that's not a very sustainable thing. 
And that's when you're getting into the idea that love is supposed to make you suffer. Again, I say just no. Because here's what else that's going to be really important. Now, this was an idea that my coach had shared with me that had really blown my mind. It is the idea that relationships are for growth. I mean, how many movies have we seen? How many stories have we read? How many songs have we heard where it's happily ever after and that's the end? But no, that is, of course, just the beginning. A loving relationship can be an indispensable part of our personal growth, especially for those of us who are on a lifelong growth journey. And I consider that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in this category. (laughs) Every experience in life is an opportunity to help us grow. And an intimate relationship is particularly conducive for this. But here's the thing. Relationships are also uniquely triggering, of course. Because it's really vulnerable to allow someone in at such close proximity. So again, you first need that really solid relationship with yourself in order for that to go well. Because true intimacy is about emotional intimacy. It is not about just sex. Now, I also happen to think that we as a culture largely misunderstand and underestimate the power of sex. Sexuality can be a really powerful tool to connect to ourselves, to a partner, and also the universe at large. But let's face it, you can also have disconnected sex, right? So for true intimacy to occur, you do need to be vulnerable. And in order to do that, your personal healing and the emotional safety pieces are indispensable. Now you might be wondering, so what happened, Aishan? Did you end up meeting someone? (laughs) The answer is, yes, I have. So it turns out when you do the work of becoming ready, the universe provides. I was able to meet a partner who is able to meet me where I am and with whom things flow easily, simply, without much or any friction. And I honestly could not believe that this was even possible. Of course, this doesn't mean that I am never triggered or that we never have conflict. That's not the point. The point is how we handle it when those things do come up. And I really have to say, it improves the quality of my relationship so much that I have been putting in my own work. For example, when I notice that I have, a, I have an emotional hit in a particular situation, my um, process, like my instinct has become to first take the time to notice my reaction to this thing. Again, it's indispensable here to be your own good friend to know how to have your own back. Like, why are we having this reaction? Is this an old wound? Or did this person really do something that we'd like to address? There is just so much more access to calm and um, the capacity to respond when you know how to process your own emotions. It is such a liberation, if you will. Well, I realize that I actually have so much to say about this topic, so I think I'm going to probably do another episode on this when the podcast is back in the fall, 
But in the meantime, if any of this resonates for you or you have any questions for me, please do not hesitate to drop me an email or to contact me on Instagram or in my Facebook group. What I will say, though, is if you are looking to create a deeply loving relationship in your life, make sure that you are able to take a leap of faith and to simply believe that it is possible and that your past experiences are really neither here nor there, and your past has no bearing on your future. You know, when I was dating and had my heart broken on more than one occasion, my coach was such a godsend. Thanks to her, I was able to not cling to the unhelpful stories that my brain was offering me, such as, you know, there are no good guys out there. Maybe I'm not lovable when someone gets close to me. I've never been lucky in love. Blah, blah, blah. It was essential to be able to notice those thoughts and just choose not to believe them. And I am forever grateful to my old self for having kept the faith despite it all. So if this is one of your big objectives also, just know that your brain, as a normal human brain, will want to focus on what's not working that all the good ones are taken, that maybe big love isn't meant for everyone. You know, that's its job. But if you want to create that beautiful partnership that you know deep down is possible for you, you need to learn how to plan for your brain doing what it does and constantly redirecting it and going for what you want anyway. And of course, I can totally help you with this and it would be my pleasure to. My email's in the show notes if you want to drop me a line. My friends, I'm going to miss you during the summer. As I explained last time, I will be working a good chunk of the summer, but taking a break from the podcast. Have an amazing summer, whatever you do, even if you're staying home or you're going to some location. Just, I hope that you just have a wonderful time and I will speak to you in September. Thank you so much for tuning in. Your interest and attention mean the world to me. If you'd like to continue the conversation, just hop on over to our Facebook group, Redefining the Good Life Community. See you in there.